conductive wire And you were so electric I had no say when you came so near And just passed right through me Hey everyone, welcome to Geekdom is Back, as is Katie Schaefer. Today we're talking all about the 2019 Joker movie. And this is the first time this character has really gotten this sort of attention, I guess you could say. And with the movie making all of the money, I'm willing to bet that it's not the last we've seen of Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. Katie, I know this is a movie that a lot of people felt iffy about going into it. And it seems like a lot of people have either loved it or hated it. So I want to kick this discussion off with how we felt coming out of the theater after seeing this. That's a really good place to start. Because <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know, honestly. I try. I went into this movie with kind of some skepticism as to how it would be. And when I left, I was like, did I like this movie? Was it a good movie? And I just kept rolling it around in my head. And I still haven't decided, honestly. But I did leave knowing that, for me at least, this was an interesting movie to watch for a whole myriad of reasons. So I enjoyed that part of my experience at the very least. How about you? I also had no idea how to feel when I left the theater. I was kind of like, oh man, that was a lot to take in. And at the same time, it was such a different depiction of the Joker that we've seen previously. He wasn't directly going out and causing a ton of mayhem and, you know, blowing things up. And what we've typically seen of the Joker in things like, you know, Batman the Animated Series, The Dark Knight, just these different iterations that we've had over the years. So for me, a lot of what intrigued me was... Joaquin Phoenix's performance but then you had the rest of the story and I was kind of like okay I feel bad for this guy I really do you know you can tell he's down on his luck he's trying to take care of his mom he doesn't really fit in with anyone even the other people who are going out and dressing up as clowns which is kind of ironic because you would think they would all kind of be outsiders right and you just get this feeling of so much despair throughout the movie that you leave it and you're just exhausted. And yes, that's part of why I didn't know how I felt because then they also throw in a young Bruce Wayne. And I was like, okay, I understand why you did this, but I don't care that you did it. Like I did not need another crime alley incident oh, on I know. screen. And it was just one of those things where that moment took me so far out of the movie because I just did not care about anything Bruce Wayne or even Thomas Wayne related in this. And, you know, Arthur's mother is delusional, but to the point where she believes herself so much that Arthur starts to believe her until he gets proof otherwise. And then it's just this whole breakdown and he goes as far as killing his mother. So when I left the theater, I was like, Okay, we got yet another Bruce Wayne sort of origin story without actually needing to see the origin story. And then we got this moment where the one person who seems to understand Arthur is killed by him. And he just sort of becomes this public figure in such a weird way. And I was like, all right, I didn't love it. 
and I didn't hate it, but I felt something about it. Yes, that's it exactly. I mean, so I don't feel like I could talk about the movie without giving at least a little bit of a, without at least addressing the initial controversy when this came out at Venice Film Festival and it won the Golden Lion, which is a big, huge deal. And usually you would never see this kind of movie genre-wise getting that kind of recognition. So I went in as a huge comic book fan and as an avid Batman reader and as someone who's watched every single Batman movie that's released in their lifetime, most of them in the theater, I was like, okay, well, I understand that this is a complex character. And if you've read The Killing Joke, you know he's really dark. And then also this is in this day and age with shootings and the complexities of our society and stuff, it was like, well... It, how are they going to tell this story and not make him, by the end, a fully sympathetic character? Because that's the inherent danger, I guess, quote in quotes, of this kind of story in some people's minds, not necessarily in mine. So I went in and I watched how Todd Phillips worked with that and how it played into the Batman world. So it was like, there's these two competing things where it's like, oh, how is this a Batman movie? And, oh God, this has so many layers and is so complex in regards to how this society is seeing it, not in the movie itself. The movie is pretty simple at times in what it's trying to do. And I don't, I also don't know from the Batman perspective, how much that was needed I understand that, like, the whole thing of is he Thomas Wayne's son or not is kind of the catalyst for a lot of the the conflict and especially the end of the film. Right. But it was just, like, uninteresting. Like, when that's happening, in those parts of the movie, I was like, yeah, yeah, but this isn't, this felt, it felt so unnecessary and tacked on. And it wasn't interesting and didn't add anything to the story. Because the story is really all about Arthur Fleck and how his mind is slowly snapping. And it didn't feel like that part was necessary. Like you could have found some other way to have the final conflict go down the way it does and not, it almost, it felt, it feels pandering, I guess is where I would go with it because sure we see Bruce Wayne, but it kind of leaves more questions than answers of like, why is Bruce Wayne so much younger than the Joker? That's weird. That's yeah. not how. Why is why is this happening at all? Is kind of how I felt throughout the movie at, during those scenes. It was almost like they actually wanted you to believe that the Joker and Bruce Wayne could be brothers, but that's something that I think strays way too far from the comics for them to have pulled off. So then to sort of just have him and Thomas Wayne doing this go around where Arthur approaches him in the bathroom and kind of stalks him and oh that's so creepy (laughs) you just have this guy who is so desperate to I guess find out more about his father even though his mother has no idea what she's talking about and given that he's been taking care of her for so long you would think there would be at least some part of him that would question her And he kind of does, but then, you know, he has to go and steal her file to really believe what had happened. And then he just thinks Thomas kind of covered it all up. So the fact that he has this childish naivety is just like, 
Okay, I can kind of believe that, but at the same time, does he even want Thomas Wayne to be his father? Yeah, exactly. And I think the movie doesn't necessarily give an answer in regards to if Thomas Wayne is his dad or not, because during the very end of the movie, there's that moment where he finds the picture of his mother and on the back, it's got that little note from Wayne. So I think the movie really tries to kind of have it both ways when it comes to that, which is really unsatisfying for this kind of movie, because I totally agree. Like within the Batman mythos, even though the Batman mythos is freaking huge and has all different kinds of stories, and I believe has room for all kinds of stories, that just feels like a step too far. And it feels cheap that if he's Batman's brother, like that's just, that's a boring change to the origin story of these bo- of both of these characters. And by the end, it's like it kind of wiffle waffles back and forth so many times that by the end, I'm like, oh, I, don't, I just don't care. I don't care if he's Batman's brother or not, because that's, that's just a silly distraction from what is really going on with this guy. It felt like it was not maybe an original part of the story. And so it's just kind of added in there to make it a Batman movie or to connect it to the Batman films uh-huh. without it feeling like a a natural outgrowth of the story itself, which to me is disappointing as a fan of the Batman world and of the Joker as a villain. Yeah. So I want to quickly talk about the casting here because obviously Joaquin Phoenix puts on a stunning performance you know he oh, really yeah. transforms into the joker even throughout the movie you know he's already transformed into arthur fleck when we hit the opening of the movie and to have him go from that character to slowly becoming the joker because it's not something that happens right away sure he's dressing up as a clown and you're kind of like okay okay but he doesn't really truly become the Joker until, you know, the second half of the movie. And I think that is something that they did well. The pacing of his, I don't want to say demise, because he comes out on top in the end, but of his downward spiral into becoming who he becomes by the end of the movie anyway. And it really just felt like Arthur Fleck had so much go wrong. You could definitely feel the despair in Phoenix's performance. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Joaquin Phoenix didn't have the best childhood growing up. He had a lot of tragic things happen to him in his real life that I think he was able to pull from for a performance like this. And I was listening to, I think it was an episode of Fat Man Beyond, which is Kevin Smith and Mark Bernardin's podcast. And Kevin Smith had a chance to talk to Joaquin briefly and Joaquin had no idea this many people were going to go see this movie about this man in despair. So he has this humble ability to just make you believe in the characters that he is portraying, even if they end up being horrible characters. Oh, yeah. I think he's one of the best actors working today, definitely at least in the top 10. And because he can give performances like this... Because I don't know that this movie would have been anywhere near as interesting as it is without his performance. Because the script is not the strongest, but 
his performance, like how he, his facial movements and that grating, upsetting laugh that he does and how much he just dives straight into this character and becomes him is so impressive. And it is just fascinating to watch him him do his thing. I've seen, I think the closest that would come to this performance is him in The Master. Okay. Where he's I haven't also, he's, he's playing a very troubled man, but it's a much more realistic movie. Um, but in this, he takes it like to 11, you know, and I think yeah. for some people, this might be a little over the top, but I think it really plays in well with the character that he becomes because in the beginning, he's, he feels like almost like an innocent. You know, his performance is very naive and delicate, and you feel like this guy can be hurt by the slightest thing. And then by the end, he becomes this maniacal, almost like a demon that is spreading their pain everywhere they go through chaos. And he does he still seems naive and unaware. Right. But throughout the movie, you see Joaquin's performance change and grow and become that person. And that's a really, really hard thing to do with this kind of script. And it's all done in his body language. And oh, I was, I did, when I left the theater, I did think, well, that was a great performance. That was something good to watch. Yeah. So that brings me to my next question for you. Do you feel like Joaquin's performance supersedes the story so much to the point where, you know, he's getting all of this talk about award seasons, you know, being nominated for the Oscar and everything like that. Do you think his performance will sort of mark a turning point potentially for comic book movies? And I don't want to say superhero movies because let's face it, Joker is nowhere near a superhero, but, right. you know, comic book movies, they have seen some recognition, but not in something like the best actor or best actress or even best film categories. You know, they get more of the special effects, makeup kind of awards. And if I'm not mistaken, Black Panther did win one of those. And it was a big deal for that movie. But I think with Joaquin's performance in this, he sort of transcended the idea of the Joker being a comic book character. Do you think that's going to play into award season, even though I know we both aren't super huge fans of award season. We're kind of like, eh, this is where the industry pats itself on the back for playing pretend, <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah. But I do write for an award site and I do. I understand. I find the the in and outs of it fascinating and to see yeah. the cultural response to film. That is the part that I find super interesting with award season, even though I yeah. am very cynical about it. <laughs> it's way more interesting from a business perspective than it is from like the actual award perspective. Right. Because I my tastes in movies don't necessarily coincide with that. But anyway, I think and Black Panther was nominated for Best Picture last year, I think. I'm really bad with years, but... That one year when it was nominated. Yeah, I think it was last year. And it, it won for a couple of things, but yeah, it did not win Best Picture. Um, I think that this is the kind of performance that definitely could be a turning point in that I think this movie, for people who aren't interested in comic books, I think this is a movie that might prove to them that they are valid as art. If I if I can make it that simple, <laughs> like, <laughs> I think that 
people who don't read comic books or don't have any history with them tend to see them as like childish or um, basic in that they don't have complex stories, they don't have complex characters and all of that. And I think this movie kind of proves that as an incorrect assumption about comic books and comic book movies. And I think whether you liked this or not, Joaquin's performance is very much an elevation of what we've seen come before when it comes to acting. Even though I think there are a lot of great acting performances from both villains and heroes in like the Marvel universe and uh, Wonder Woman in the DC universe. <laughs> but I'm, I'm interested to see where it goes. I think the movie winning the Golden Lion was a big step forward. And I think he stands a chance. It'll really depend on how the rest of the performances from this year stack out. I don't mm. think that it's outstanding enough that it's like a guaranteed win or even a guaranteed nomination. But I think it'll get he'll get some love either at the Globes or one of the other like the Critics Awards or something yeah. like that, I think. Okay. But an Oscar that I'm not sure about. Like those are ask me in December once the rest <laughs> of the stuff has come out and then I'll have a better idea because right now is when all the awards movies are hitting so you know he'll he'll definitely be up against maybe Christian Bale or Matt Damon for Ford versus Ferrari or whatever but right yeah I, I think it'll be interesting to see and I think if he does win I think that will be another step forward in hopefully getting weird comic book movies made and seeing them as something more than kitty fair. Right. And I would like to apologize to Black Panther because the movie was nominated for seven Academy Awards and I yes. forgot about most of them. They won three. They won for Best Original Score, Best Costume Design, and Best Production Design. So while they aren't the biggest awards to win out there, they did get that Best Picture nomination like you had mentioned. And I think that was one of the big steps for comic book movies as well, just because of the impact of the, that film. And, you know, our weariness about Joker was the fact that Joker's story just doesn't seem that compelling in 2019. You know, yes, a lot of people are like, it. oh, okay, you know, a white guy who didn't get what he wanted. Oh, no, <laughs> you know, yeah. And that's not to say that, you know, there aren't important stories to be told with people of all races, all religions, and things like that. It's just that stories about white people have been told for so long that it's kind of like for everyone else, I imagine, you know, we're both white ladies talking about this. So yeah, maybe not the best example. But for me, I get excited when I see movies that have people in them who don't look like me. And it just sort of makes me feel like, okay, you know, this is more what the world looks like. And, you know, to have that representation is so important. And for this movie to then focus on a bunch of white people, and you really only have Zazie Beetz who stands out as far as the casting goes, because it's like, oh, hey, look, there's someone of color in this apartment building. <laughs> and her character, it gets shafted. Like, right. Oh. It's such a bad representation for Zazie Beats. Because she is more a figment of Arthur's sort of 
daydreams, I guess you can say. He's making up all of these things that are happening between him and her character Sophie that aren't really happening at all. And then you get that moment where the switch flips and you can see that she's terrified of him because he just shows up in her apartment and you're like, dude, <laughs> there are lines and you've crossed all of them <laughs> in this moment. Yes. And, and by the end, like I left the movie thinking, oh, well, he definitely killed her because she turned him down in that moment. And the film leaves it with him look, giving that weird look at the camera. And it's like, oh, God, because the whole thing is now he's being rejected. At the end, by that point in the film, he is reacting to the rejection of society. And yeah. whenever he is rejected, he becomes violent. And that's my basis for thinking that. Uh, yeah, I think their portrayal of Zazie Beetz and that she is the only person of color in what is obviously supposed to be 1970s New York yeah. is not a good choice. But this is Todd Phillips. So I think a lot of those choices can be laid at the feet of someone who isn't as aware and isn't thinking about those kinds of things and doesn't see maybe for the not charitable interpretation doesn't see the importance of having that representation and uh -huh. for the charitable interpretation just isn't aware that it's important. And I agree. I love watching movies where it is not people who look like me. I love seeing different kinds of movies and with different kinds of characters and opening my eyes to what other worlds are like, whether they be fantastic or, you know, based in reality. And that is where I think this movie is kind of, it falls down on the... <laughs> we'll say that. Yeah, it didn't feel like the most accurate representation of New York because where Arthur is living, you feel like there would be a lot more diversity because, again, the time period and just the sort of neighborhood that he's living in, you're like, okay, just Sophie? All right, let's just keep this moving along, I guess, so we don't right? think about that too much. And you have other characters like... Robert De Niro's Murray Franklin, who is this big TV host. And obviously, they're not going to change who Thomas Wayne is. That is something that I think will remain intact for years to come. And Mark Bernardin actually explained this in a very good way in an article that I'll have to dig up for this. He talks about how you can't just make Batman or the Waynes a different race because of where they come from. They come from old money. And he's like, okay, you know, sure, you might want Idris Elba as Batman, but his family just wouldn't come from that kind of place, you know? So, And this isn't the movie to do that. Right, right. And I think the way they portray Thomas Wayne, who is played by Brett Cullen, is a lot different than how he's portrayed in the comics when we do see him, that is. You know, he is seen as a very charitable man. He's giving back to this city that gave so much to him because he comes from this place of wealth and he can afford to do that. But in this, you know, he's running for mayor and I'm just like, I don't know what's going on with this story. And I think yes. the story is really where a lot of my questions <laughs> come into place for this movie. I was like, oh, okay, that was an interesting choice of how to incorporate the Waynes into this. And you have Penny Fleck, Arthur's mother, who is delusional, clearly needs help, and Arthur is not in a position to be helping anyone, really. He can't even help himself. So I think 
from my perspective, story-wise, I would have loved to see a little more of maybe Penny going into a hospice place to get help. And, you know, obviously, if they're as poor as they are, there should have been some state funding. But we do see state funding gets cut and Arthur can't go see his social worker, I guess, slash therapist. I'm not really sure what exactly her title was, but yet another person of color who is seen as a bad guy to Arthur, which is kind of like, okay, all right, I guess you're going to make that move too. So story-wise, there were a lot of holes. Yes. And I think, you know, when we talk about how this is very much set in the 70s, you know, this movie is obviously heavily inspired by Taxi Driver. I mean, Scorsese was uh, attached to produce this for a while, who was the director of Taxi Driver, which for those who haven't seen it, uh, watch it and you'll see a better version of this story. Uh, One that's much more grounded in a difficult place and in reality and tackles a lot of very complicated issues and does this character uh, in a much more uh, nuanced way, I would say. And Taxi Driver is one of my favorite Scorsese flicks, so I've seen it several times. And watching this, it was kind of like, oh, well, that shot's straight out of that movie. Oh, well, this this <laughs> aspect of this is right out of Taxi Driver. And so in some ways, in regards to that, it it feels like a, a fake reflection of the 70s. Because Taxi Driver was made in the 70s in a New York that was... Um, diverse and complicated and crime-ridden and all of that. And so this feels like a imagining of the 70s. And of course, it's a comic book movie, so it's all an imagining. But it really wants to be grounded in reality, I think. And so it kind of falls apart when it tries to bring those two things together with the Waynes. Like this, it tries to, I think, like with the Thomas Wayne thing, bring this like Oh, well, yeah, he may be a philanthropist and seen as this, you know, forward thinking man, but there's always a dark side to those people and this is his dark side. But then it also tries to play it off like that's not who he is. That's all in Penny's imagination. And so that criticism also ends up falling flat, depending on your interpretation of whether or not she and him had that relationship. And like the social services thing. I mean, the seventies was a very bad time for that. And it tries to exploit it without really getting further into it. And it just doesn't, just doesn't work all the time. So I wanted to ask you, have you read the killing joke? I have. It actually was one of the first comics I read. And at the time I was like, oh my goodness, this is so fantastic. And then looking back on it now, I'm like, oh, I see the problems with this. And it's just one of those comics where I think it has become so notorious for people either loving or hating it in a way that something like Identity Crisis had become. Because those were two of the early comics I had read. And looking back now, I see what was problematic with them. At the time, I was just so excited to be getting into comics. I didn't know any better. And I feel like that's kind of what this movie is. It's something that you can find a lot of things to pull out and enjoy, but then there are problems with it as well. Yes, exactly. I felt the same way about The Killing Joke. It was one of the first ones that I read, and I was like, oh, wow, this is amazing. And especially because I I still really like Alan Moore, despite having 
grown to understand him more and liking him less than I did initially. <laughs> Even he says, he's like, uh, I probably shouldn't have written that. It's not a good one. And I can see why. It's very violent and and not that violence is it's in itself is bad, but this is very gendered violence and the development of the Joker's backstory, having it be developed at all is a fraught thing to do because part of his interest as a character is his um, enigmatic nature in that we don't really know a lot about him. We don't know his reasons for doing this. And so you can't assign meaning to his actions because we have no context. And I think that's what this movie, like The Killing Joke, kind of falls down on is that, and you know, in the very end, when he, right before he goes and kills Murray, he says that he's not political and he doesn't have any political, you know, meaning behind his actions. And it's like, well, yeah, you do. We all have meaning and politics behind our actions. Maybe not in the way of, you know, in America, we have Republicans and Democrats and all that crap. And I'm talking about the politics of everyday life, where we right. have beliefs, we have systems that we ascribe to, and he is obviously doing this for a reason, and we can see his reasons because we've seen his backstory and we have context. And that's something that kind of tears the Joker apart a little bit as a character, because that's not how we're supposed to feel about him, at least for those of us who read comics and know more of the history behind who the character, um, how the character has been during his time in the spotlight. We mentioned how the story is sort of the weakest part of this, and I wanted to quickly go over one of the other aspects that might have boosted this movie a little for me. You touched on it when you mentioned Taxi Driver and how some of the shots clearly were inspired by that movie, which is on my watch list. I have not seen it. But the cinematography in this, I think, frames Arthur Fleck in such a way where you do empathize with him a bit. You can understand someone being down on their luck, especially that moment where he's getting beat up by the group of kids in the alleyway who took his sign. And then, you know, later he finds out he has to pay for the sign. And he's like, yeah. but, you know, I didn't oh. lose it. Someone took it and broke it. And <laughs> and then kicked my ass. Right. You feel bad for him in that moment, but you never feel bad for what he's become. And I think the movie with the cinematography frames that so well in a lot of these shots when he's getting beat up. But then at the end, when he's being lifted up by people, you're just like, yeah, this is a character I love to hate. <laughs> yes. I think, yeah, that it really does try to capture that sense of the cinematography. I mean, tries to capture that sense of unreality that Arthur is living in, you know, with like, for me, I noticed particularly with all the close-ups, there's a lot of very intense close-ups in this. And I, I feel like that's supposed to stimulate how emotionally open Arthur is. Like he takes like, everything is too much for him. You know, all of these experiences make him, laugh uncontrollably and he's so uncomfortable in his own skin all the time and the camera work allows us to be uncomfortable because it's oh god this person's face is right up in my business <laughs> or you know it's swooping around him while he's doing these crazy dances and it really contributes so well to helping us as an audience feel his emotional pain right and i agree that 
the cinematography, I would see also um, that and the score, I could see getting nominated because they're both so well done. Yeah, another scene I wanted to bring up too was the apartment scene where Randall and Gary come to visit Arthur after he's been fired. Oh, God. And it's so brutal, but just the juxtaposition of not only the size of Randall and Gary, but how Arthur feels about them. He is obviously upset with Randall, who gives him the gun that falls out at the children's hospital. And it's kind of like, okay, well, maybe you shouldn't have taken that into a children's hospital of all places. You're probably going to be safe there, you know? And I understand that the walk from the hospital to either his workplace or back home, maybe not so safe, but it's like, okay, come on. You have to think a little more rationally about this. If you're holding a sign outside in public, that's one thing. If you're in a children's hospital, that's a completely different thing. And so you understand why Arthur's angry with Randall because he gets fired for it. But at the same time, you're kind of like, all right, well, Randall didn't deserve that. That's for sure. But then he lets Gary go. And just the way that scene is shot is so powerful because you have Gary kind of whimpering in the corner while everything goes down. And because of his size, you're just like, oh, please, you cannot kill Gary. Gary didn't do anything. He's the only one who's been nice to you this entire time. Like, So then when you finally get that shot of Gary trying to leave and he can't reach the chain on the door, or the lock on the door, and he's kind of like stretching as far as he can. And then Arthur walks over to him. You're like, oh, no, is he actually not going to let him go? And then just when you see that door open in that frame, you're like, okay, I can breathe now. Right. It's such a sigh of relief because I I agree. I was clinching my whole body like, oh, God, not Gary, not Gary. (laughs) He's one of the only blameless people in this movie. But yeah. And I think that is a good illustration of the of the character of the Joker that we know and love from, or know and love to hate from the comics that flip-flop of how he randomizes his actions. And in this, it's you wonder is it because he just didn't care enough to kill Gary or did he let him go cuz cuz Gary was nice to him. It's such a well-done moment in in the movie, I think. You also wonder if he let him go because Gary never posed a threat to him. Right. You know, he has spent a lot of time being beat up by people who are either roughly his size or bigger. And in Randall's case, he is such a big presence. You're like, oh boy, you know, if something goes down between these two, especially something like a fist fight, you know, Randall would win. Right. But because Randall and Gary are coming there, to apologize and to bring him, I believe it's like a bottle of whiskey or something, and they let their guard down. So to have Arthur then take on Randall, who is just intimidating when he walks in the room, I think he spent all of his energy and he knew that Gary was completely terrified. And he was like, okay, you know what? You didn't do anything to get me fired. You didn't do anything to make my life worse. So you can go and go continue living your life. But anyone who has ever made fun of him, you know, that's why he shoots Murray. Murray makes fun of him because it's good for his ratings and because Arthur is a horrible comedian. Yes. Yes, yes. Yes. And I think that's he is out to get people by the end and out to cause chaos. And I think that 
the part where I started to feel like the movie wasn't, was definitely not as aware as it needed to be of how it was portraying Arthur in sympathy, uh, is right after that when he puts on makeup and he goes to be on Murray's show and uh-huh. he leaves the room and it's this triumphant song. And then he does his dance down the stairs. Like that was the point where I was like too much, too far. This yeah. should have been, this song should have been one of loss and sadness that he has succumbed to the darkest part of his soul. And like, you could keep the scenes all the same, but that they didn't, portray it as being him completely losing himself and like it's his body might still be alive but inside mentally like he's gone the arthur fleck that we saw from the beginning of the film is no more i understood the song choice because it felt like the first time arthur enjoyed what he did yes i agree so i think in his mind it was a triumph for the rest of us we're just like this is too much and that's where you get this difference between the audience and Arthur, you no longer feel sympathetic towards him. He's taken it too far. And when he kills his mother, he kind of does it in a loving way. He suffocates her in the hospital bed because he knows that she's sick. She's probably not going to get better. But he also does it because she lied to him, even though she didn't necessarily knowingly lie to him. She believes the lie she's telling. And that is just such a heartbreaking moment because Penny is also like Gary and very innocent. She just has this delusion that she can't get rid of. So to her, that is her reality. And she writes these letters over and over and over to Thomas Wayne. And, you know, Arthur takes all of them pretty much and reads them before either sending them out or not sending them out. I don't remember exactly which happens, but you have this son who is trying to take care of his mother, but he turns so bad by the end of this that even her innocence isn't enough to save her. Right. And I think we see from, I think it's from in the hospital. At some point it's revealed that she had been allowing, when he was young, she was allowing her boyfriend to abuse him. And I think that... Yeah, it was in the file, I think, that he stole. Okay. Yeah. And I think that's the point where for him, he this his image of his mother starts to crumble. And I think he turns a lot of his rage at his life on her. And it's really hard to feel like she deserves that because uh-huh. she's obviously so damaged. Right. And But also she's his mom. She's responsible for taking care of him and keeping him safe. And so it's she is kind of a bad guy, but also like from her actions, she's not. So from her actions that we see anyway. And so it felt it has such a complicated moment at the end there where he's suffocating her. And it's like, well, I kind of get it, dude. But still, you're killing your mom. That's not cool. You need to not do things like this. And he loses the sympathy that we've built up for him with his action. Yeah. So I think it's safe to say that for both of us, this was a movie that had some highs and lows, but I want to dive into ratings real quick, which I know is always tough, especially with something like this, and just sort of break down why we left the theater feeling unsure about this movie. Because for me, I believe I ended up giving this a three out of five letterboxes not working for me at the moment, but 
it felt very middle of the road for me because you have the high of Joaquin's performance and the low of the story. And to me, I was like, all right, that kind of puts it somewhere in the middle for me as much as I loved Joaquin's performance. Yep. I gave it a two and a half out of five, right down the middle because I just didn't know. Well, because I felt some things I really enjoyed and some things I really hated and some things I was just meh on, like the Batman stuff. And so I felt like, well, if I'm not really sure, then it's right down the middle because I didn't hate it. And I think that a lot of the criticism leveled at this movie is totally accurate. And I think a lot of the reasons people love it is also totally accurate because I think this is something that you are able to read into it what you want almost. But that doesn't mean that it's, that's not always a good thing. And with this kind of movie, I don't think that it's a good thing because I think with this kind of movie, you need to take a stand about where you are on these kinds of things and you need to be definite. Otherwise, it feels like you don't know what you're doing. And that's kind of how I felt about it from the directing end of things. But then with Joaquin Phoenix's performance, the cinematography, the score, a lot of that stuff is just masterfully done. So it kind of pulled it back into the middle for me. So I, I'll watch it again just because I feel so interested in what it says about our society that the movie got made and the reactions that people had to it. If anything, this is certainly a movie that makes you think a lot when you walk out from it or, you know, for those of you who are going to watch it later at home, it's something that is heavy for sure. And not all heavy movies are necessarily going to be enjoyable. You know, I can't imagine Joker as being this movie that people are excited to rewatch. Maybe there are some people out there who are excited about this enough to go out and watch it again and again and again. But for me, it was too heavy for that. I was like, I saw this in theaters. It'll be a good while before I watch it again. You know, it's one of those things where it's not because of the quality of it that I don't want to watch it again. It's just the subject matter. And sometimes you need things like the MCU to sort of just bring you up a bit, you know, even though they do have dire circumstances there. And we've seen that with villains like Thanos. It's like, okay, you know, end of the world kind of stuff. But with Joker, it's so real that I think it's harder to let go of that after you watch it. Right. It feels very visceral when you watch it. It feels like, especially in this day and age, feels like this is a guy that you could run into to your own detriment. And that's feels very much placed in in a reality that isn't too far away. And that's why it's such a difficult watch. Mm -hmm. And I think, I, I wouldn't say I'll enjoy watching it again, but I'll watch it again and see like, okay, well, does my original interpretation of all of these things hold up and see if I feel any differently? So I'm watching it with more of like almost a clinical eye where it's right. like, hmm, how, how did you, how did you structure this? <laughs> but I would never watch it as like, oh, I feel like I just need to chill out and watch a movie. Let's put Joker on. <laughs> you know? yeah. For that, I'll, I'll watch Captain Marvel or something where I'm not going to feel like, oh, I feel icky inside at the end. So my last question for you then to wrap this up with some final thoughts. Would you watch a sequel of this with Joaquin Phoenix as the Joker? Yes, but I wouldn't expect it to be even nearly as good. Okay. I, I think this is the kind of movie where you can make one. And we don't, it's going to be real hard to pull off a sequel and have it be anywhere near as interesting because, like I said before, about how 
the Joker's actions are in the comic books because he has doesn't have that background. It allows him to it allows the writers to play in this space that is why the Joker isn't Batman's, you know, antecedent, like why they are two two opposites on this, you know, this spectrum of villainy and hero heroism. And I don't know that it would be interesting to watch this Joker and the Batman go up against each other because right. it would, I think we've seen that with Heath Ledger's Joker. And I don't think this has any kind of ability to continue on. What about you? Would you? I would simply because of how good Joaquin Phoenix was as the Joker and as Arthur Fleck. But I think I would want something more along the lines of, you know, like Joker escape from Arkham or something where it's about him coping with his time at Arkham and what he plans to do when he gets out. And you don't necessarily need Batman to tell that story. And I just think you can't really have the Joker without Arkham either. A lot of these stories involve Arkham Asylum, and that's just such a core part of who the character is. And that's how he meets Harley Quinn, who is not Harley Quinn at the time. But I don't even think we necessarily need Harley Quinn because the Joker is a frequent flyer at Arkham Asylum. <laughs> you know, he comes yes. and goes so many times that you could have a story where Dr. Harleen Quinzel is not in it, where Bruce Wayne and Batman aren't in it, or maybe Bruce Wayne is in it in the peripheral, not quite as direct as Thomas Wayne was in this. But I really think they do have a chance to do something interesting with Phoenix's Joker. They just have to find the right story for him. Yeah, that that does sound interesting. And I think I think it we'll see. I know Phillips has said this is a one-off and so has the DC folks, but it it was the It made too much money grossing... for them to really yeah, the... be set on that decision. <laughs> yeah, it was the largest grossing R-rated movie of all time when adjusted for inflation. So, and DC and Warner Brothers certainly could use the money, so we'll see. I do think this is at least a step in the right direction for DC. They're not trying to bring you that MCU feel. They have, you know, some sort of feel-good movies in Shazam, and you could argue even Aquaman by the end of it. Yeah. So you have these characters who are charismatic enough to stand on their own two feet. And with the Joker, people are always interested in that character. Anytime you do anything Batman-related, regardless of whether or not Batman is 100% involved, people are going to go out and go see it. I mean, look at how well Deadpool did. You know, how many people knew about Deadpool? Probably not nearly as many as there were who knew about the Joker. So right. DC has finally, I think, started to figure things out in a way that doesn't force them to try and compete with the MCU. And this movie is sort of the epitome of that because of how much it made. Right. And I think people are hungry for different kinds of comic book stories. And this is definitely that. And, you know, going forward, I think DC needs to embrace that their characters are all very different and have different tones and trying to homogenize them like they did with the Snyderverse, I think was a poor way to go just because of how the DC universe is structured. And that's a good thing. I like that the DC universe has a different style 
and uh, different kinds of worlds for every character. That's what separates it from Marvel, because Marvel is very, they all are very much existing in the same universe. Whereas DC, we get a whole plethora of different worlds. And like the Birds of Prey movie that's coming out, or the Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One (laughs) Harley Quinn, as the full title is, (laughs) Um, I think... That's the right way to go about it for her character because it's so she's so off the wall and Margot Robbie's interpretation of her in Suicide Squad is wonderful. <laughs> so yeah. I think maybe they've learned the lesson of like, well, let's make the movies for the characters that we have instead of like, let's make a movie and try to smash these puzzle pieces in when they don't necessarily fit. Yeah, I think things are running a little more smoothly for them now. And, you know, like you said, Birds of Prey, even Wonder Woman 1984, I'm excited for because I was like, okay, oh, yeah. you can't really make the 80s that dark. I mean, you can because I just watched American Horror Story 1984. Right. So, you know, it's one of those things where because Wonder Woman is not a horror movie, you know, I think it'll be a lot more of a brighter film with these different tones than we saw in the third act of Wonder Woman. And, you know, I'm very happy DC is sort of getting its footing here because I'm all for all of the comic book movies. As people can probably tell if they've listened to this, given that we covered all of the MCU. And I I don't know, I'm still sort of working my way through some of these DC movies. It just kind of Depends on what other people want to talk about. You know, I haven't had any volunteers for the Suicide Squad. Not surprising. (laughs) Oh, I will do that shit with you. I love that movie, and it's terrible, and I don't care. (laughs) Okay. Because it's so ridiculous. I'm going to take you up on that, Katie, but for now, I, I think we can wrap this up. Before we go, though, I quickly want to let you all know about our Patreon You can support this podcast for a dollar a month. That'll get you a thank you on the show. $5 a month, you get to pick a topic. So, you know, Katie already volunteered for Suicide Squad. So I guess you guys will have to pick a different topic for me and someone to cover. But that's a good way to show your support for the show. Or you can just tell a friend about it, you know, help us out with subscribers. And you can find us at Geekdom Pod on Twitter. Welcome to Geekdom on Instagram and Facebook. Katie, again, thank you for running through the Joker with me. Heck yeah. Thank you for having me on for it. Of course. And to our listeners, as always, thank you all for listening and we hope you enjoy the rest of your day.